are states of being or traits or dispositions, the repetitive behaviors, are run by what we could call bundles of neural circuits. Essentially, the brain has 86 billion uh, neurons in it. That's a lot. But even more so are the interconnections between the neurons, which are afforded the synaptic connections, are dense webs of dendrites and axons connecting remote areas of the brain, uh, tendrils that reach out and connect with other neural tendrils and send signals back and forth across the brain. And these circuits link sensory perceptions of the world around us with emotions, behaviors, even a sense of identity. Put simply, there are literally biological neural circuits that switch on in the brain when we are sleeping, when we are eating, when we are walking, when we are riding a bike, when we are talking socially, or when we're in an intimate conversation, when we're angry, when we're grieving, when we're playing, when we're reading, when we're everything we do, there are neural circuits that switch on. Um, and these neural circuits govern the bulk of the activity without our conscious intervention. Imagine how uh, laborious life would be if we every action we took, we had to think about it while we were doing it. If we had to think about every little action that went into walking, if it didn't become automatic to eat, talk, to uh, shower and brush teeth, and uh, if even talking, bringing thoughts to mind and uttering them in language that was understandable with a certain grammar, if all that we had to actually think about, all of the actions that went into it, life would be completely unsustainable. So the brain has circuits that allow us to do so much automatically. And many of these traits are wired during specific developmental stages of life. For example, very early on in life, the brain, the right hemisphere, expects to learn about primary attachments, what we can expect from people that are essentially our core uh, caregivers or attachment figures. In fact, that literally happens starting around the age of 12 months to two years of life. And at that point, the right hemisphere builds its circuits that govern its expectations on who we will depend on, who to attach to, what others think about us, whether we are inherently lovable or not. Starting around three to five years, we learn about uh, other figures beyond uh, core attachment figures, extended family. And then from age six, we start learning about socializing and, and how to interact with peers and what kind of behaviors peers will appreciate in us. We have wirings for 
whether we're in small, small groups or wirings when we're un, in unfamiliar peer groups, wirings for when that govern how we behave when we're in with friends. And then with puberty, we start wiring the circuits that govern sexual behavior and how we will seek to get uh, express ourselves in that domain. Multiple circuits are created in the same period of life. So, for example, the child can wire a circuit uh, for an engaged interaction if it has a responsive mother, while if it has a playful, uh, stimulating father, the child will wire a circuit governing ex excitement and uh, roughhousing and tumbling. And if, on the other hand, it has a bullying cousin, I had a bunch of bullying cousins. I remember when I was very young, the brain will wire states of distrust and uh, perhaps either hiding or aggression. So the brain expects to learn all these things at certain ages. In fact, if it fails, if there are developmental delays, then there's a whole host of negative ramifications that occur. For example, during the pandemic, so many kids around the ages of six and seven couldn't go to school and interact with other kids. And the long-term uh, ramifications in terms of those kids' confidence in socializing, whether or not they grow up to have social anxiety and so forth, will be staggering because the brain expects to learn about peer relations in the very age where so many kids were cut off from interacting. So circuits organize how we behave, think, feel, and they become automatic over time. And they, um, they basically are automatic processes that activate our reactions, our preferences, our reflective, uh, reflexive opinions and our expectations. All of our core traits, what we do when we're under stress, what we do when we're lonely, what we do when we're angry, are created by these circuits, are underpinned by these circuits. They are responsible for our greatest strengths and our most intractable ruts. Old, unhealthy circuits wired early on in life, feelings of not being good enough, fear of constant fear of abandonment associated with anxious attachment, vulnerability to the opinions of others can be overridden if we know how to switch our ego states to new circuits that are created in adult life if we have positive interpersonal relationships that occur later on in life. On the other hand, circuits can solidify into very strong maladaptive behaviors that impede our functioning and, and can make it so difficult for us to have positive experiences that we never override them. Healthy circuits, to play, explore, bond, to laugh, um, are wired in 
to the brain almost from birth, as Jack Pensap, a great neuropsychologist, have shown the wirings uh, that govern how we play, how we uh, explore the world, uh, how we, the urge to bond with others and so forth, are governed by core regions of the brain that are almost completely available from birth. There's, uh, of course, nurturing involved, but these are very, very early circuits. And they're generally healthy, but they can be overridden later on by illness. If there's an extended period where a child is uh, immobilized due to an illness, the very natural circuits to explore the world can be overridden by immobility or fear uh, states. Likewise, a traumatic loss or later traumas can override very healthy circuits of the brain. So, uh, and there's another way the brain wires circuits, not just in stages of life uh, through experience, but also the brain can wire new circuits very, very fast during traumas. Traumas create almost instant neural imprints of the stimuli associated with the trauma and the trauma survival behaviors, which are generally fight, flight, or shut down, freeze. So very quickly, in as little as a half a second, the brain can start wiring, start the process of wiring a stimuli linking a certain situation in life where a trauma happens with certain survival impulses. And in the future, if we stumble upon a situation that's at all similar, we'll start having the same emotions and survival impulses. For example, if somebody is attacked walking home uh, at a certain time of night or during a certain day of the week, from that point on, all of those stimuli, the time of the week, the, the quality of the, uh, the time of the evening, the uh, quality of light, the location of the attack, will deeply wire circuits that create an urge to freeze, to run, to panic, or to, you know, shut down. And if we ever are out at the same time, we might start to, the, those stimuli will trigger the trauma responses. So one way that this plays out in self-therapy and in therapeutic modalities that help people is the insight that the circuits of the brain we can be experientially related to. And we do this using some of the old therapeutic techniques where the very old, old patterns of behavior underpinned by circuits we think of as the child, the inner child or the child state. 
and then later behaviors that are imitated or introjected by viewing parents and early adult figures are called the inner parent. And then the circuits that we wire in adult life are called the inner adult or the mature states of the brain. So generally, ego therapists break down our internal experience in terms of the inner child, the inner parent, which was based on the behavior of our parents, and then the inner adult, which is based on the behaviors we learn when we are um, in our adult, behaviors that are learned and wired uh, in our adult years. So the child state, we react as we would when we're a ch we were a child. When we're in stressful situations, some of us might become avoidant and just batten the hatches and disconnect. Or we might become uh, regressive and very silly. Or some of us might become, uh, might practice a great degree of denial not acknowledging that anything's going on. Some of us will become emotionally volatile and throw tantrums whenever things go wrong, as if we are being punished by the universe. Some of us will cling uh, to anyone who's around for support. We might, on the other hand, uh, become silly or playful or curious. There's nothing wrong necessarily. These were the innate behaviors that were the, the circuits that were wired very young. Sometimes they're very beneficial. The urge to play, explore the world, to be silly, to, uh, to be distracted sometimes even can be very beneficial. But sometimes uh, allowing the inner child, very often I should say, not sometimes, but very often allowing the inner child to govern how we behave in a lot of adult situations, throwing tantrums, running away from conflict, over-worrying what other people think about us, and so forth, or denying obvious mistakes we've made. These child inner child circuits can get us into a lot of trouble. The introjected parent, old circuits that stemming from childhood that imitated the behavior of the adults around us when we were children. Um, if we were lucky and we had a secure attachment environment, then we will wire in positive circuits, looking to comfort ourselves by seeking secure, empathetic individuals the impulse to disclose what we're feeling for support. On the other hand, um, those who had strict, domineering, critical, emotionless, or parentally anxious or victimized uh, caregivers, parents that constantly were emotionally unreliable under stress, those circuits that are wired then, the inner parent circuits might have us seek distance 
whenever we're under stress and not connect to others and try to figure everything out ourselves without asking for help. Or on the other hand, we might have circuits that have us seek comfort from people that are emotionally unavailable. That's not helpful either. Even, unfortunately, if our parents had terrific states, unfortunately for us, the amygdala, which governs the circuits that are wired in the brain, has a tendency to learn from and wire after events that are negative more than positive. So even if your parents were generally quite emotionally available and caring, unfortunately, the amygdala has a 500% uh, greater tendency of wiring from the few negative experiences than the positive ones. So there's that to consider. And then, of course, I mentioned we have the all-important adult states that are learned by ourselves in adult situations where hopefully we become far less reactive to events. We're contextually aware. We grasp the bigger picture that allows us to stay calm in situations that when we were in childhood, we wouldn't have stayed calm. For instance, an adult who spent quite a number of years uh, in a workplace might learn that if they make a mistake, uh, they won't be punished, they won't be ridiculed or shamed like they might have been in their family system. And so they become less overreactive when they've done something wrong. They might develop skills that create a sense of confidence that they never had in childhood. They might um, develop a sense of a renewed sense that people aren't all that uh, volatile. So they become more capable of showing up for conflict over time. Um, in adult life, we might become more capable of reading other people's mind states than we were as children. I mean, most of us should in adult life be able to discern with a greater degree of clarity when someone is just angry or angry at us, whether someone is uh, frustrated or sad or distracted. We should be able to read other people's minds, as it were, mentalize with a little greater alacrity. Now, if this sounds like I'm saying that all adult states are better than inner children states, that's absolutely not true. The inner adult is generally not wired to play, to be entertained as much, to have a wondrous exploration of the world, uh, and a sense of awe, the, a sense of unedited creativity. So very old wirings of the brain, if we know when to use them, have their role in how we function and how we can become happy in our lives. Routines that are, uh, we now know as traits or ego states or dispositions are switched unconsciously, generally, 
by the brain, but we can consciously learn how to override what is generally an unconscious process. So how does the brain unconsciously switch us from one state where perhaps we're confident doing our our jobs or interacting with people in a upbeat to a suddenly irritated or anxious state or suddenly a way a wave of depression sets in well there's a process that porgas and other uh famous neurologists and neuropsychologists call uh neuroception neuroception means unconsciously the brain is scanning the world around us for two things and those two things determine what ego state we're in so what are the two principal domains that determine what ego state you will be in well one is the nonverbal cues of people around you whether there are people around you how they regard you how they look at you what their body language is what their tone of voice is whether they look at you or not it's less what they say than what they do as we know from the work of shore and others um uh essentially the uh right hemisphere uh unconscious regions of the orbital frontal and the right amygdala and so forth are scanning other people's facial expressions body language tone of voice and it's essentially behind the scenes deciding if i'm safe or if i'm not safe if i'm safe i stay in social engage mode where i'll be creative and engaged with others i'll be in one set of neural circuits or one ego state but if other people stop looking at me we know from lieberman's work if people stop paying attention or engaging with me then the brain will very quickly stay change to a state of alert and threat and uh, a sense of needing to do something to get people's attention i'll become more dramatic and more either assertive or i'll shut down and disappear from i'll have i'll lose confidence so that's the first area that determines uh what state we're in the nonverbal cues from others the other is feelings or somatic markers as we they're called by Damasio who showed that body states of comfort or discomfort how the 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 especially the markers of either ease or tension that are registered in areas like the tight or relaxed abdomen the the breathing the shoulders the face the cranial nerves whether they're relaxed or not the a region of the brain called the insula reports uh, to the frontal lobe and also determines what ego state we're in and this brings us to the important observation that if we can pay attention to what feeling state we're in withdraw our attention from people around us at times and bring attention to what's going on in the body through what's called mindfulness and then learn over time to literally soften 
and change the somatic markers or the feelings that are going on internally, we can actually change the, feel, the ego state that we're in. We can also do it by, instead of paying attention to people that are not emotionally available or interested or regarding us, we can visualize situations where we are being confident, where people are regarding us in a um, positive way. We can literally create mental images that then change our ego states. So we can either change the body or change the images rather than focus on how people around us so much are regarding us. We can actually close our eyes and use visualizations or what's called priming to change our ego state. So mindfulness and visual practices help us switch states either by paying attention and soothing feelings in the body, or two, by shifting, by changing the stimuli that we're aware of from a world around us where people might not be available or caring or attentive or responsive. We actually change the stimuli to images we create, priming, of positive situations. The goal being to bring mature states to the front of the mind and at times to override maladaptive either internal parent introjects or early childhood um, patterns like throwing tantrums or isolating or becoming overly self-reliant, not asking for help or whatever, we can override those, what seem like very deeply wired traits can actually be overridden. So how do we do this? Quite simply, we change our states by one, closing the eyes and disconnecting from what is around us, the stimuli that might be triggering uh, older maladaptive states of anxiety or depression or lack of confidence or addictive impulses or you name it. And when we close our eyes, we might first ask, what age is having this reaction? What age is having this reaction? How old are these circuits? We might even visualize the a period of our life, a child, ourself as a child, where this kind of emotion or this kind of state is first associated with. Keeping our eyes closed, we connect with our most adult part. We bring our mind to a time when either we felt confident and effective and weren't overwhelmed. Or we might bring to mind a moment of success when other people regarded us with a sense of esteem. Or if we can't think of such a moment, we visualize it, we imagine it. We might visualize if we're overly worried what people are thinking about us, we might visualize a time when someone was upset 
and it really didn't matter to us because we felt confident. Or if we are worried about our financial uh, resources, we might visualize a time where we felt secure and abundant in our life. We might simply visualize all the positive connections or people that uh, we believe we've in some way benefited. If it's very difficult to visualize any positive image, then what we do is we bring our attention to the body sensations that are keeping us locked in an early triggered avoidant or anxious or depressed or apathetic or uh, anhedonic or uh, disinterested state. And we uh, essentially pay attention and change the feelings through changing our breath, through softening areas of the body, which we can do with our mind, through visualizing just pleasant environments that allow us to relax the body. And then we go back to the positive images we're bringing up. The Buddha, in his teaching, the Paticca Samuppada, talked about, just as we now know uh, from clinical neuropsychology, from the work of uh, Damasio and so many others, Buddha noted likewise that feelings, or what he called Vedana, determine the emotional impulses, the states of being, what he called Chaitasikas, all he said are rooted in feelings. And he noted in a core teaching that if you pay attention to feelings long enough, they change. Simply being with them, observing them, without wishing them to go away, but just being with them, soften and change the feelings. And then he noted the chetasikas or the mind states we're in and all of the craving and addictive behaviors and compulsions start to pass. So we, when we can connect with an adult part that was confident or an image when we were secure, we recall the feelings and emotions and impulses that went with these states. And then in that state, we linger for a little while and then we access being in the adult state. We start going deeper and looking for that inner child that still is frightened or anxious or yearning for connection or protection or comfort or play. And we can do this simply by asking what was behind the feelings that I, were, I was originally in, or we might just simply visualize ourselves as a child and just ask it, this internal image, what were you looking for or yearning for? Protection, comfort, play, love, support, appreciation a sense of uh, acknowledgement. What, what did this child need that wasn't being met that triggered the original uh, emotional state or ego state that we were in? 
And when we do that, we keep the adult state in charge and we task the adult impulses in us, the confident parts, the part that knows that things are not as big a deal as they might often feel, the part of us that has developed new resources or skills in life since childhood, we task that part with interacting with other adults and we task that part to help us go through situations that are stressful and we protect the inner child. We no longer ask it or even allow it to be involved with situations that require nuanced adult interventions. So that's a lot to digest. And what I'm gonna do now is lead us actually through an ego intervention, a Buddhist-based ego intervention that I might use when I'm working with people in, you know, Buddhist counseling. And so uh, I'm just going to encourage you to find a really comfortable seated position or a, a way you can lie down. Thanking you for your attention and your support of my work. And um, so let's close the eyes. And this is the first step of paying attention and accessing whatever ego state we're in. So whatever state we're in, probably uh, as we were listening, we might not necessarily want to address or adjust, but the fastest way to become aware of our ego state and to become capable of shifting an ego state is by disconnecting with the stimuli coming from the world around us that we cannot control and instead bring our attention to the feelings that are going on internally. Remember, as we just noted, feelings are very determinative in whatever state of being or trait we're in. And we're just going to, for the purpose of this practice, we're going to spend some time trying to release any stress or contraction or discomfort in the body. The calmer the body is, the easier it is to shift an ego state, the easier it is to address whatever trait we're in. So go inside and just ask, what right now is yearning to be let go of? By which I mean, just pay attention to the body and just note if there's any areas that are needlessly tight, needlessly contracted, that are resisting letting go and just relaxing. 
And just bring a very compassionate attention to these areas of the body. For me, very often, it either will be a belly that could be softened to receive the breath, sometimes my belly, under uh, the strain of getting a lot of things done, will become needlessly tight. And that needless tension then will lead to states that are rushed, impatient, or um, feel vulnerable. So simply softening the belly for me very often is the first major step to addressing whatever circuits are governing my behavior. Other times for me, it's my shoulders. They can start to drift upwards and lock in. So I lift them and roll them back. I keep softening the belly to receive the breath. And another third major intervention is to bring attention to the breath and make sure that the in-breath is very full and that the out-breath is very long and complete and unforced. I'm not pushing out the breath. I'm very slowly releasing it, like slowly releasing air from a balloon. So let's spend a little time just bringing attention to any feelings or physical traits that we can release, soften, bring comfort to. For many of us, it might be softening the micro muscles around the eyes or smoothing out tension in the forehead, releasing locked jaws. It might be releasing rigid postures in the back or allowing the arms to collapse into the chair or the legs just to settle and the feet to settle into the earth.
one way to settle and soften the body might be to bring to mind a distant destination that you would long to arrive at. And just imagine you've traveled a long, long journey to get there. And you've now arrived. You've entered the room wherever you're going to stay. And you drop all of your bags and just release all of the tension. And then you move outside to the that beach or that mountain vista or that desert or that cherished long for location and you settle into a really comfortable chair and you release into it and just do that right now. If any thoughts keep intruding into just relaxing and 
releasing any needless tension or resistance in the body. Just note those thoughts and just don't push them away. Just step back from them. Pull your attention back from looking at those clouds in the sky to just returning your attention to the sensations of your body. Looking away from the clouds of thought to everything else that's present in the body, the feelings, the breath, little movements, in the eyes or throat. Just return to the actual felt experience or the sounds that are going on around you. Just let them in. Sounds are a wonderful way to release ourselves from anxious, repetitive, intrusive, self-referential thinking that causes so much stress and suffering. Just return to the breath and just keep it very long, smooth, being received by a soft belly. And at this point, what I'd like you to do is bring to mind evidence that you're an adult, that you're no longer a child or a teenager, but you're an adult, no longer vulnerable to the whims of others to the degree that you were in childhood. with skills and capabilities that you didn't have as a child, and our heads listing all of the attributes, skills, resources that we've cultivated in our adult life. For example, I'm now a Buddhist pastor with a large group of people I work with. I live in a house. I'm no longer living with my family. I can set boundaries. 
I have strong professional skills. I have many interests that I didn't have as a child. I can think of myself acting competently with clients, paying bills. I can think of all the challenges that I meet in my normal life from exercising, taking care of our cats, connecting with the people I provide counseling, being sober, the meetings that I go to, to keep myself connected with long-term friends that are so Bringing to mind evidence that I am a competent adult with clients paying bills, dealing with life, maintaining friendships. And from breathe into a body that is stronger that is less vulnerable and as a adult see if you can locate inside of you a small child perhaps as young as five or six that needs your attention care appreciation It might have been this child that actually chose so many, made so many of the important choices in your life. The child that doesn't trust others can choose professions that are isolating, self-reliant. The child that, on the other hand, needed to take care of its parents might go into a helping or caregiving profession. And just note that if you can even bring an image to mind of yourself, as early an image as feels appropriate, and just remind yourself that these circuits are still very much active and very much a part of your brain that creates, has its own needs, its own perspectives, and that these circuits 
deserve to be cared for. Essentially an inner child that needs to be fed and protected, provided with sleep, to be kept around loving people, and to be kept away from people that are rigid, critical, unyielding, people that are uncaring, and that it's the adult part of us that needs to act when we're in difficult situations. And promise that we'll find times that are appropriate for that child to take control, to be given space. Imagine yourself in your life taking time to be entertained, nourished, time to play and explore, to do the things of that a child needs to stay stimulated. So if we're too much in the inner parent or inner adult and we don't carve out time to play, then the inner child will come out in times that are inappropriate, that are delicate, that are stressful. So imagine keeping the vulnerable parts of you out of situations that would be frightening for a child or overwhelming for a child. And while you're in the confident adult state, remind yourself that that's the state that decides what your boundaries will be with people, with work, with families. Remember, a child can't set boundaries. A child is simply told what to do and pushed around by others. So just visualize yourself in a situation where sometimes we let the child throw a tantrum or run away or get overly frightened or overly worked up. And relaxing the body visualizing situations that were confident.
bring that adult state, emotions, capabilities into situations in our mind where we generally become small or frightened or overridden by others or pushed around or uh, overwhelmed, bring to mind times when we are capable And bring to mind a time when it would be appropriate for your child to be given free reign to play, to seek connection, to be distracted or entertained or be soothed. In our meditation, we can begin to understand what parts of our self structure are most appropriate for what parts of our life. So I'm going to ring the bowl now and um, just take your time, bring your awareness back to the world around you. <laughs> 